Hello, and welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Masters, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And uh, this evening's topic is the evolution of chronic pain. Uh, welcome, uh, Dr. Hanscom. And so you're, you're basically, your thesis is that uh, chronic pain actually de- develops through a series of stages? Right. I mean, chronic pain is very common right now, and there's actually a predictable sequence of events that I, unfortunately for me, but hopefully fortunately for the world, I learned the hard way. <clears throat> As you know, I was in chronic pain for over 15 years didn't know how it started, didn't know how I came out of it, I didn't know the evolution of it. But it turns out there's actually a very predictable sequence of events that occurs that's now been documented by the neuroscience research, especially the last three years. But I want to, what I want to do is spend a little time with this one. This goes right to the very basic part of the first or second chapter of my book about how does chronic pain evolve, how does it develop, why does it occur. So I like to put this into four steps, and the first step is being the source of the pain, the second one B is a process called sensitization. The third step is memorization. And the final step I call it the modifiers, which is basically sleep, anxiety, and anger. But it's very, very predictable, and it's um, been documented by neuroscience research. But I'd like to first talk about the source of the pain, where there's different ways pain can start. It turns out eventually, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where the source of the pain starts from. But initially, the source is going to be the soft tissues, tendonitis, you know, Achilles tendonitis, tennis elbows, um, tension headaches. And for instance, an attention headache is where the muscles attached to the skull. It's called a periosteum, which is loaded with pain fibers. They get inflamed. And then as you keep moving your head, it stays inflamed. And again, you've got ongoing irritation of tissue. So soft tissue pain is by far the most common source of, cro- of chronic pain. Um, I'm source of pain. doesn't always turn chronic. The second thing is, and you can't see it, the key issue with, I call it non-structural pain, is that you cannot see it on a diagnostic test. The second source is a structural problem, broken bone, tumor, infection, bone spur, pinched nerve, etc. Those are the issues that are um, caused what we call structural pain. In other words, you can see it on an imaging test. The symptoms match perfectly. We call that structural pain. And by the way, that's the only pain that responds to surgery. In other words, soft tissue pain, where you have inflammation of the tissues, you can't do surgery. You just disrupt the tissues, you create scar tissue. So structural pain is the only situation where surgery becomes a possibility because if you can't see it, you can't fix it. The third source of pain is the brain itself can actually short circuit. And so we do know that consciousness or thought to create the same unpleasant chemical reaction in the body as physical threats. And the brain literally can short circuit and create pain on its own without any outside sources at all. But I think probably the most common source of pain is basically the soft tissues. So these are, an example might be if you, if you strain your back or it's muscle-related type of pain. Right, let's talk, let's talk about back pain just for a second. But also remember this whole doc process is for any pain from any source, any part of the body, irritable bowel, spastic bladder, migraine headaches. But back pain is the most common chronic pain, by the way. And our basic pr- 
premise is that is a that it is a soft tissue pain, and the muscles, tendons, and ligaments all contain literally one million pain fibers per square inch, and the disc itself is very very sensitive. So there's many structures in the back that that can cause back pain. Back pain is always non-structural. In other words, it's a very broad area. And even if by some magical trick we can find the exact source of the pain, the region is so vast it would be very hard to actually fix that one spot. But the reality is we don't have any diagnostic test that tells us where that back pain is coming from. So even if it was a structural problem just for discussion's sake, um, you can't see most of it. So again, it becomes structural only when you can see it. For instance, if the spine is unstable, slides back and forth when you bend forwards and backwards, that would be considered structural. But we only find a structural source of back pain maybe 5% of the time. So back pain is a classic example of what we call non-structural pain. The problem with back pain, structural or not, is that it hurts. These are big muscles. They spasm. People are miserable with back pain. So even though you, quote, can't see it on a diagnostic test, unquote, the pain is quite uncomfortable. So the second stage, so the source of the pain, again, can be structural. We can see the problem with matching symptoms. Non-structural, which is by far not the most common source, which is soft tissue pain, and, and which is very painful, probably more painful than structural. And the third part is the brain literally can short circuit. You have these pain circuits firing away that have no business firing away, and that's a huge problem. But the second phase is, remember, we talked about the, the source, the sensitization process, the memorization process, the what I call the modifiers, which is anxiety, anger, and sleep. So the second stage is called sensitization. And, you know, somehow in human history, people figured this out a long time ago, is that when you have repetitive impulses to the brain, your brain basically becomes very aware of those and focuses more and more attention on it unconsciously. And the classic example is that of water torture, where a poor prisoner is strapped down to a flat surface, and a drop of water is just intermittently dropped on this person's forehead, and the problem is that the drop of water doesn't change at all, but the perception of pain literally changes into that of a sledgehammer, and the patients go insane. But remember, the drop of water didn't change. So what's interesting, in 2004, there's a paper published where they looked at a research MRI scan of the brain called a functional MRI scan. They took patients who were just normal volunteers, they put a pressure stimulus on these people's thumbs, and then every time they put the pressure stimulus on these people's thumbs, a certain part of the brain load up certain part of the brain lit up. When they put the same stimulus in people that had had pain for more than six months, five parts of the brain lit up. A 500% increase within six months of the brain reacting to a stimulus. And we all know the brain learns with repetition. And so with repetition, these impulses that were relatively simple, even if they don't change at all, the brain starts to become insensitized. And so your perception of pain changes dramatically and the, and the research MRI scans are the the research MRI scans are dramatic. I mean, literally 500% increase in neurological activity for the same impulse with repetition. So again, there's a source of the pain, and there's a sensitization process, and that's why people say, "Well, my pain's getting worse." Well, it's true. Chronic pain essentially always gets worse with time, just with a pure repetition. So it's it's not really that the source of the the pain is is getting worse. It's just the experience of the of the same pain is, is getting worse. 
Yeah, and it not only gets worse, it gets dramatically worse. And so, of course, what people would, would normally think, including myself historically, well, it's getting worse, there must be something wrong. And as a surgeon and as a physician, I mean, I'm pretty hyper. I mean, people do get cancers, they get tumors, they get infections. So we're always, I never assume anything. So it turns out, as I've done more and more work in chronic pain, I probably, I don't try to be cost-effective. I always do the testing. I don't want to miss anything. So again, it's something like less than 1% of patients with back pain have actually a true source of pain, like a tumor or infection. But we see it. We see fractures. We see all sorts of things showing up out of the blue. But they're rare. Nonetheless, no matter how rare they are, we still assume there's something that we don't want to miss. But chronic pain essentially always gets worse with time and repetition. The third part is, gets to be really interesting, is, is the brain simply memorizes the pain. And the analogy I use is like an athlete learning a skill or a musician learning how to play an instrument or an artist learning how to draw or essentially any performance is that with repetition, you're simply, your brain memorizes the activity. We've all heard the term muscle memory. And of course, it's not muscle memory. It's your nervous system memorizing the process. And so it takes a major league baseball pitcher and lifetime to learn how to throw a baseball like like they do. I mean, it's unbelievable what they can do. But, of course, any high-level sport, when you look at some of these extreme basketball players, soccer players, I mean, all these sports are just stunning what they can do. But it's repetition, repetition, repetition. And your brain changes by the second. We call it neuroplasticity. So as you do repetition with a narrow range of behavior, your brain memorizes the process and once it's in your brain, it's permanent. It's like riding a bicycle. The problem with pain impulses is they come into your brain so fast, like a machine gun, that we now know that the brain actually memorizes these, these impulses within about 6 to 12 months. And again, once they're in your nervous system, they are permanent. The classic example is called <clears throat> phantom limb pain, where people have a trauma to the arm or the leg or have diabetes or cardiovascular or peripheral vascular problems. But before an amputation is done, most of the time the limb becomes very, very painful because as you've lost the blood supply, why your body, of course, screams for more oxygen, and it hurts. It's a very uncomfortable situation. Over half the people who experience an amputation feel the exact same pain. Not only do they feel like the limb is still there, they feel the same pain. So, I mean, how can that be, right? I mean, I was in medical school. I remember hearing this. I'm going, well, that's interesting. Then an orthopedic resident, I heard it over and over and over again. I used to do amputations, and it's very dramatic that we know the source of the pain. It's a structural problem. So when you remove the offending source, why would the pain disappear? And I also point out when you turn on the light switch, the pain doesn't go. The light doesn't go on at the switch. It goes on at the light. Same thing with like phantom limb pain. So you've lost a leg. Why the brain activities in the brain is not at the leg? You don't feel the pain in the brain. You feel the pain where the switch goes to. So when the light switch is on, the light's on. When the pain switch is on, the pain is on wherever the switch goes to. So it's a very disturbing process. And once this pain becomes memorized, again, it's like riding a bicycle. You can't unlearn your pain. You can't unlearn how to ride a bicycle. So it's a huge problem. Finally, in this part of the conversation, there's a research paper out of Chicago about four years ago that shows that with acute pain, that there's a certain part of the brain that lights up every every place, every time. It's your, it's your predictable center. 
But in patients that have had chronic back pain for more than 10 years, that pain center is completely quiet. In other words, it was called the nociceptive system. So in people with chronic pain, the nociceptive system is completely quiet. Only the emotional center of the brain lights up. So what it amounts to is that you have the same back pain but a different driver. Then they took a group of volunteers who had acute pain, less than three months. They followed them every three months with repeat MRI scans. About half of those people resolved their pain. Everything went back to normal. But the half that developed chronic back pain had that switch occur every time from the pain center to the emotional center. So what's happening now is that we're starting to do procedures on a neurological problem. So once the pain is becoming embedded in the emotional system, which makes it much more complicated, again, the same pain, different driver. But if you start doing surgery for back pain, where your body's already minimized the pain, it's a huge problem. So again, the evolution is you have the source of the pain, either soft tissue, structural, or the brain can short circuit. The second factor, which is the sensitization process. Again, pain gets worse with time and repetition. The third thing, which is really a huge tipping point, is the memorization of the pain. And people do everything they can to solve it structurally. It can't be solved structurally. It's memorized. The final step, which is understandable and a huge factor in chronic pain, is that when you're in pain, by definition, you're supposed to become anxious. So you become anxious normally for any threat, physical or mental. You take evasive action. Anxiety is solved. It's a survival reaction. The reason why it's so critical to understand anxiety is a survival reaction is that anxiety is not psychological. It's a neurochemical reflex that is a million times stronger than the conscious brain. So you can't treat chronic pain psychologically. It's just a survival reflex that's short-circuited. So people become anxious, which is a sensation generated by the body's chemicals, adrenaline and cortisol. And then what happens, then you're trapped by the pain. So remember, the antidote to anxiety is control. When you lose the control of any situation that's creating anxiety, your body kicks in more stress chemicals, and you become angry. So then your body is full of stress chemicals, adrenaline, cortisol, and histamines, and your body is designed to be hypervigilant, hyper alert because it's a survival reflex. And then your quality of life is gone. And I remind people in the book also, physically, you know, face to face, I said, look, forget about the pain for a second. Just think for just think of a day where you're really just angry. What's your quality of life like? Of course, it's not very good. Then you add in pain on top of the anger, it becomes intolerable. It's a big, big problem. And they've actually estimated that the impact of chronic pain on a person's quality of life is equivalent to that of terminal cancer. There's two research papers that document that. Then, of course, additionally, your family doesn't believe you. The doctors don't believe you. And so talk about feeling trapped. I mean, you get really trapped in chronic pain, and your body chemistry goes to the roof. So what happens when your body chemistry is through the roof, it actually doubles the nerve conduction, and, of course, you feel the pain even more. So not only have you memorized the pain and it's become sensitized, but your body chemistry actually makes the pain worse. And then you're more trapped. So you're more in, right, you're in more the adrenaline. So it's like a big downward spiral, just a self-reinforcing spiral. Right. And then the final characteristic is really key is sleep. And so you think about this sensitized nervous system, this now memorize the pain, 
You're anxious, trapped, frustrated, angry. And Dr. Sarno, who wrote a very very famous book on back pain, called it rage, and it's legitimate. I mean, you you can't escape this thing. And being in pain, of course, is a really unpleasant scenario, no matter what. So we called it a rage. But one thing that we've also found out is sleep. So you're in pain, you're anxious, you're frustrated, and you can't sleep. What I found fascinating is there's a, there's a major paper out of Israel done a few years ago on over 1,000 patients. This is a four-year study, and what they documented is that lack of sleep actually induces chronic pain. It's the cause. It's not the effect. So I tell people this over and over and over again. You say, well, I've memorized the pathways. That sounds pretty hopeless. Well, guess what? There's ways of creating new pathways around the pathways, so it's not as hopeless as it sounds. But the starting point for this entire process is working backwards through the sequence and starting with sleep. And my comment over and over again to my patients is that, look, we can do all these medical interventions, but if we don't deal with sleep, this entire conversation is actually worthless. So I did write a chapter in my book, Chapter 14, on sleep. There's eight things that, there are eight different things you can do for sleep, with the first four of them being self-directed. And when I was doing this on my own in, in Sun Valley as a primary care spine physician, surgeon, is it's just about sleep. It's all we focus on. Just let's get the sleep going. And within two to six weeks, most people were able to sleep. Most of the time, it took some medication management. But it's sort of the end of line. It's a major factor in chronic pain. And honestly, we can do all sorts of interventions, all sorts of medication adjustments, physical therapy, all sorts of stuff. But if you're not sleeping, honestly, nothing else really works. So that's sort of like the first order of business is to be sure you can, you're getting enough sleep to help that calming process. Right. And people, you know, they get so used to being, you know, not not being able to sleep. It, it sort of becomes normalized while I'm sleeping five hours a night and somehow can get by. There's also this misnomer. I wrote a big article on sleep a few years ago in my national journal, is that people think that, you know, as an adult, five or six hours is enough. It's not. So... As you get older, sleep is actually, the requirements for sleep don't change. You still need seven or eight hours a night. The problem is at age 25 and also age, at age 45, there's a marked diminishing of the nervous, nervous system's capacity to put you to sleep. So it's just harder to get sleep when you get older, but it's just as critical as you age as it was when you were younger. So, yeah, sleep's always a starting point for me, and I also as a tertiary spine surgeon, I'm, I'm, I'm not in this role anymore, but when I was, you know, again, the, basically the primary spine surgeon in Sun Valley, um, it was fun to, to say, look, you're not sleeping, well, just the medications, keep them stable, and we really focus only on sleep for the first two to four weeks. I see people back within five to seven days sometimes say, look, is this working, is it not? And usually within about four to six weeks, I, almost everybody was sleeping, and I didn't Honestly, I understand how important sleep was back then. I just noticed people started getting better quicker. And then the research the last five years, again, has been very supportive of that whole process. So just backing up the conversation, I'm going to sound repetitive here, but it's really critical is to understand that chronic pain doesn't just happen. So the, the sequence is the source of the pain. It can be either a structural problem, as you can see, with matching symptoms. So either an X-ray or MRI scan or bone scan, et cetera, can tell you, where the pain might be coming from. But the symptoms have to be an exact match. 
and it's only in a structural situation is surgery even an option. The most common source of pain is the soft tissues, which are loaded with pain fibers and are extremely painful, where the brain can short circuit. So that's the source of the pain. The second thing is the sensitization process, where your brain simply becomes more and more sensitized to a repetitive impulse over time. And again, that's a major problem in people's quality of life, because it just not only do you feel the pain more, just mentally, it just drives you crazy, just feeling it more, not knowing what to do. And so the sensitization process is a major factor in chronic pain evolving. And what happens is that when you're trapped and frustrated, your body's adrenaline goes up, you feel the pain even more. Then the third step we talked about was the memorization, which we, we discussed phantom limb, really, phantom limb pain really briefly. But it can occur in any part of the body. And once those pathways are in there, they are permanent. A different discussion is how do you create new pathways around, around the old pathways, but understanding the, understanding the nature of the problem is really the critical first step to actually solving chronic pain. And the fourth or final phase, I call it the modifiers, which is basically anxiety, anger, and sleep. The pain pathways, the pain circuits are, are already fired up. They're already there. They are permanent. You're sensitized. But when you're anxious and frustrated and not sleeping, your coping skills go down your body chemistry changes, it makes the situation much, much worse. But by understanding that sequence, you start chipping away at each aspect separately, it's a solvable problem. And so do you, uh, now, uh, when you first start seeing a, a patient with these pain things, can you intervene uh, at any point in these four stages to sort of break that cycle? So well, we used to think that once you had chronic, once, we used to think that once you had pain more than 18 months, that it was a it was an unsolvable problem. But my record is a woman who um, 55 years in chronic pain. So again, it doesn't matter where the source of the pain comes from. It doesn't matter how long you've had the pain. Um, there's always a solution at some point. The three steps of solving chronic pain is, is, first of all, simply understanding the problem. So what we discussed today was actually deepening your awareness of the problem. The second step is you deal with, you deal with every relevant aspect at the, first, at the same time. So it turns out that everything works a little bit in chronic pain, but nothing works in isolation. So the metaphor I use is like fighting a forest fire, which is unfortunately a very real metaphor these days. But it takes multiple strategies to fight a forest fire successfully. Same thing with chronic pain. It's a complex problem. It's got multiple aspects to it. Everything works a little bit in chronic pain, but nothing works by itself. So you have to attack each aspect of pain simultaneously. The third part is since chronic pain is complex and each person is an individual, the third aspect of solving chronic pain is actually um, taking control of your own care. Since you're solution for chronic pain will be completely different than my solution because you're a different person. Why that's a key issue is, is taking control of your own care. But again, understanding the evolution of chronic pain is really by far and away the first step is understanding the problem. In, 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 in the arena of life, business, whatever you're in, to solve a problem, you have to really understand the problem in the first place. Well, Dr. Hanscom, this has been very enlightening uh, this evening to really understand how chronic pain evolves. Uh, this has really been an eye-opener for me and I'm sure for the rest of our listeners. And I want to thank you for uh, coming to the program this evening and invite our listeners to come back 
next Wednesday at 5 p.m. for another episode of Acting Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for listening today, and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.